Well, good evening, everyone. I'm going to give you another opportunity to make the most of saying good evening. Good evening, everyone. Sounds a little better. Look at your favorite neighbor. Look him right in the eye. Tell him, whoo-wee. 22, 2022 looks good on you. Tell him that. Tell him. Tell him 2022 looks good on you. Maybe that'll help somebody out tonight. It's great to see you here tonight. We're glad that you could be with us here on campus at Grace Church of Central. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we would like to welcome you as well. Just want to give you a couple of announcements this evening, and there are really only two. Um, as most of you know, we are in uh, the beginnings of 21 days of sacrifice, and that will last until January 23rd. We hope that you are taking advantage of this time to set aside something meaningful to you and dedicate some more time to prayer and uh, reading the Bible and just getting closer to God. And also, uh, this coming Sunday, the 9th, uh, Brother A.J. Holloway will be ministering in our 11 o'clock service. Definitely looking forward to that. So please keep note of those things. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's going on here at Grace Church via the Grace Church app or by clicking on the events tab on our website. I think at the beginning of the year, uh, most of us, our thoughts turn to uh, changes, New Year's resolutions, things that we want to do less of, things that we want to eat less of, uh, things we want to do more of, uh, all of those types of things. And um, I think that New Year's resolutions are great. I don't think they should just be relegated to New Year's. I think that uh, anytime you decide that you're ready to make a change, it doesn't have to be January 1st. You can do it anytime. And that's scriptural. Um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in uh, this last verse of Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he grew mentally in, in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew physically. And then he also grew in his relationships with man. And he grew in his relationship with his heavenly father. That's a perfect picture of four areas where we can all improve. Uh, we can improve physically, we can improve mentally, and we can always improve our relationships with those around us and with our Heavenly Father. So uh, just because it's not January 1 and it's, uh, what, January 5th, it's not too late to decide that I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to make some changes so that I can grow and get better. It's a scriptural thing. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Great to see everyone here tonight. Thank y'all so very much for coming, and uh, hope your new year has started off well. And uh, <clears throat> certainly hope and pray that God will continue to bless and prosper you and your family. And I mean that. Uh, thank you so much for being here tonight, and I deeply appreciate seeing all of you. Deeply, deeply appreciate seeing all of you here tonight, and we'll trust that the service is a blessing and that the spirit of the lord the word of god will talk to your heart tonight <clears throat> as we traverse through the second part of the bible study that i started uh, last wednesday night <clears throat> and uh, i would ask you tonight to open your heart your mind your ears to the word of the lord tonight i do have uh, i come very passionate tonight about this study and I believe it's uh, 
great thing, especially for the first of this year, uh, something for you to consider, uh, something that you set a goal to do. I want to go through a little bit of review tonight, and uh, uh, as I did Wednesday night before last, I don't plan to keep you long. Uh, but what I have to say tonight is heartfelt, and I believe it's of um, incredible importance. Our scripture setting, I'm not going to read the whole thing tonight, was found in Mark 4, verses 24 through 29. And I titled this, The Standard of Compensation. It's bottom line, <clears throat> we, we've said over and over, and I even mentioned it a couple of Wednesday nights ago, people say that you only get out of your relationship with God what you put in it. But I submit to you tonight, it's more than that. Uh, it's far more than that. Uh, I talked to you last Wednesday night, and I'm just going to highlight, or, or Wednesday night before last. I'll, I'll just highlight a couple of things. I, I mentioned to you a couple of Wednesday nights ago that according to the word of God, that light and truth are to be the character, the very nature, and behavior of a believer. Light you giving off light as a witness and living according to the truth. That's the nature and behavior of the believer as the New Testament teaches it. So the believer is to live in the truth. He is to set the candle, the truth in the most conspicuous place in his life. This would be in speech, dress, attitude, conduct, a candle is not placed under a basket where it would be extinguished, yielding it incapable of fulfilling its purpose. A candle is a, is a hidden candle, is a candle without a purpose. <clears throat> so it's not our, it's not biblical to take what we know about God and hide it. It's biblical to take it and to make it where it is the most manifest as we can make it in our lives. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Paul wrote to the church in Philippians. He said that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, our nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said that we are to mark the truth, to take heed this is the part that I really accentuated last Wednesday night Wednesday night before last there's a culture developing within the church that disagrees with what I'm about to say Jesus said that we are to mark the truth that is to take heed and make sure you hear the truth the impetus is not totally on the minister to teach the truth. As much impetus as it is on me to teach the truth, the same amount of impetus is on you to hear it. You'll not stand before God one day and say, Well, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. That's not going to hold water. 
but there's a segment of our culture, there, there's parts of our social culture, our religious culture, that somehow has convinced people that I can go to church on my terms, live for God on my terms, do what I want to do on my terms. And when I stand before God, God is going to understand my terms. No, he's not. He don't have to. He's not obligated to that. So Jesus is still talking about the responsibility of the hearer. The hearer is responsible for hearing the truth. He's also responsible for what he hears and how he interprets what's being said. Now, I've had my mind blown on numerous occasions throughout my some almost 40 years in ministry with people walking up and saying, man, I agree with what you said when you said da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything close to that. I don't know what you heard, but that's not what I said. A man is responsible. Everybody, the Bible said to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. Every man is responsible for making sure that he knows the truth and that he possesses the truth. He is responsible for what he hears, possesses, and knows. Listen to pastor. If a man is filled with junk, he is responsible for the junk. If he's filled with the knowledge of real truth, then he's also responsible for the truth. A man is accountable for what he fills his heart and mind with. A man is to take heed, the Bible teaches. He is to keep guard, to watch, and to make sure he hears the truth and then interprets it properly. Somebody say amen. I mentioned to you a couple of Wednesday nights ago that God expects a man to seek after the truth. I, I wish everybody would hear and understand. I, I wish you, I'd, I'd feel better, I'd sleep better tonight if I knew you understood what I was saying. God expects a man to seek after the truth. God abhors laziness. He hates laziness and selfishness and indulgence and uselessness and excuses and worldliness and ignorance. God holds a man responsible for hearing the truth and then interpreting it properly. I'm just reviewing from last week. Paul wrote to Timothy, we've, we've heard this verse, we've heard this verse, but you have to understand the weight and the magnitude of it. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. This verse stands out, stands out to me because when I appeared before the district board for my local license, Many years ago, my ministerial license had to go through a screening committee. My screener was Brother M.K. James, who had pastored in Homa for a number of years. When he finally had to give up his place on the district board as a presbyter, uh, he was retired. He, 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 he just he couldn't do it anymore, physically, uh, mentally, what have you, couldn't do it. But he was my screener. Of all people, it had to be him. He said, Brother Murphy, in his little voice, quote 2 Timothy 2.15. <laughs> I don't know what that verse says. And before I could just totally be ignorant, I just, something hit my head, 
and I quoted part of it. I quoted part of it, but I left out a line. I'll tell you the line I left out. I sat in my chair and looked at him dead in the eye, and I said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's not what it says. And he very quickly corrected me. And I have never forgotten this verse since. It's immediately burned into my brain. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And this is where God don't understand our terms. That's what we have to understand. <clears throat> Hosea prophesied in his book in the Old Testament. God spoke through him said, My people are destroyed. Why? For a lack of knowledge. I mentioned, uh, still on my review, I'm going to get to our Bible study tonight in just a moment. On one occasion, the Pharisees approached Jesus. They tried to entrap him as they did many times. After they tried that once or twice, if I had been a Pharisee, I would have voted to let's give up. Because it backfired on them every time they tried to trap Jesus in something. Anyway, they tried to trap him. And they asked him what the greatest commandment in the law was. And he answered them. And I want everybody to listen. It's an important point. Because I'm going to expound on this <coughs> in just a moment. In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. He added the mind. It was not in the original Deuteronomy 6, 5. He added the mind. And his purpose was to show that a person's, his purpose was to show that a person's total being, your total being, must be involved when you want to cultivate a relationship with God, not part of it. Heart, soul, and mind. I'm trying to, I want to teach this whole thing all over again, but I'm not going to. So let's jump into tonight's study. <clears throat> Listen to Pastor. We have far too many Pentecostals who are heart or emotion only Pentecostals. When their heart is in it, they're amazing. But let something happen and their heart's not in it anymore, they're gone. There's people at Grace Church that are they're living this as we speak. They serve God with their emotions. The problem with this is that emotions fluctuate. We have up days and we have down days. On our up days, we can come to the house of God and we can shout and dance and rejoice. But on our down days, if we come to church at all, we tend to want to sit with our arms crossed like we're mad at the world or we're distracted by something else. Listen to pastor. Our response to God, our response while here in His presence cannot, everybody say cannot, it cannot be predicated upon our emotional state for the moment. But rather upon our knowledge of who he is and what he has done. So regardless of how you feel, God still deserves. He is worthy of not just our emotional part of us, but also he is worthy and deserves what we know. 
And that's why it is so important to know what you know, to know the truth and to interpret it properly. So that when you have those moments that you don't feel like it, your knowledge kicks in and says, do it anyway. Jesus said to the Sadducees in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, You do err, not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. I want to tell everybody here tonight. <laughs> we can get as fluffy as we want with our emotions and say, I love Jesus so much, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That ain't going to last. And Jesus said, you're making a mistake if you want to try to have a relationship with me based on your emotions. You err. You make a mistake when you don't know the Bible. It's a mistake not to know the Scripture. (laughs) We need to know That the laws of God, the laws of God are established. Jesus said, my word is forever settled. It's not going to change. The laws of God are established and they are exact. It's similar to the laws of science. The laws of science don't change. Do you understand whether you agree with gravity or not? You can't change that law. You can get all emotionally hyped up and say, I don't believe in gravity and I don't believe gravity applies to me. I'm going to get on top of a high building and jump. Go ahead, stupid. I don't mean to be ugly or harsh, but I don't know how else to say that. Got a few people that are older here tonight, my age and up. Anybody remember that song back, what was it, 60s and 70s? What goes up, gotta come down, spinning wheel, gotta go round. It was a dope song. Drop all your troubles by the riverside and catch a painted pony and forgot the rest of it. It's a drug song. You get high on drugs and it makes you flip out. And you, Even on drugs, though, they're saying in the song that gravity is still applicable. That what goes up got to come down. That was a great point. I didn't think that through, but it ended well. I'm surprised. I wanted to ask how many knew that song to raise your hand, but I was merciful. But the laws of math. The laws of math, this is redundant to me to go through this, but it establishes my point. Two plus two equals four. I don't care how you slice it. You have two in this hand, put two in this hand, and put them together, you got four. Does everybody agree with that tonight? When you get on your little, well, I don't believe that applies to me. Well, go ahead and try to function in the rest of the world then with that attitude and see how far you get. I'm being honest and I'm being real. The law of music. We have incredible musicians over here. We, I, I'm not just saying this because they're here. 
And because they're a part of Grace, if they left Grace Church, they're still incredible musicians, and I hope they don't leave, but they're still incredible people. They understand, no matter what mood they're in, no matter what the kids have done, no matter what shape their marriage is in, no matter how they feel about Brother Murphy, no matter how they feel about Grace Church, they understand, based on the law of music, that there are 13 notes within a grammatic octave. They understand that. They know that. They know there's eight notes within the major or minor octave scales. They know that. And it don't matter how you feel about life. You ain't going to change it. Oh, God, pastor's preaching good tonight. I didn't mean to preach tonight, but it's just coming out that way. Let me tell you something else about the laws of the Word of God, the law of science, the law of math, the law of music. is ignorance. Ignorance. Don't change the law. It doesn't matter when you're pulled over by a policeman and you tell him, well, I didn't know. His response, usually when he hands you the citation or the ticket, says, well, you do now. Who did that? That's the way I feel right now. <clears throat> That's how I, I just, whoo, I could shout and dance right now. There's no exceptions for anybody. So, I want to present to you the analogy of the three-legged stool. I've never, I, I tried one time at milking a cow and was not successful. But I do remember vividly sitting on a three-legged stool to do it. And I don't know who invented the three-legged stool, but they're a genius. The reason you have a three-legged stool is because they can sit on any terrain. If you have a four-legged stool, but I've got people that's popped their head up listening to me right now like, I never knew that. If I had had a three-legged stool, there's probably somebody here tonight that has one at your house. There's a man here tonight that's got one out in the shop. So Henry Swallow's got probably two or three at his house, I imagine. He's got burners that sit on three legs, I can tell you that, whether it's a stool or not. But Jesus introduced an analogy. When the Sadducees tried to entrap him that day and said, What is the greatest law of the, of, of, of the law of Moses? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It's like a three-legged stool. You can stand anywhere if you have those three things intact. You can make it through anything. Amen. Amen. These terms, when you take them together, when you put them together, that means that you love God with your whole being, heart, soul, and mind. In life, they cannot be completely isolated apart. And our, there's cultural movement today, and it's, it's creeping into the church. That I'll love God with all of my heart, but I'm not going to love God with all my body. Or I'm going to love God theologically with all of my mind. I know there's one God and Jesus is his name, but I'm going to give my heart to something else. Our culture... There's preachers 
in my opinion and from my point of view, for whatever it's worth, that are teaching their congregations. It's okay to drift away from God with your heart as long as your mind is steady on Him. It's okay to love God with your mind and you can let your heart do what you want. No, it's not. It's not okay. Try it in your marriage. Try loving your your spouse that way. Some of you have. And it didn't work. And it's only a matter of time before it comes to the surface. That you may love me in your mind, but you don't love me with your heart. And people know the difference. And if people know the difference, don't you think God knows if you love him with your heart, your mind, and your soul. It's a three-legged stool. And the reasons our marriages don't do well, the reasons our kids don't do well, is because a husband and wife, mom and dad, however it applies, is not loving God. They're not on steady ground. They don't have that three-legged stool thing working for them because there's a part of them that loves God, but there's another part of them that doesn't. Say, well, Pastor, how can you love God, you know, with one part of yourself and not the other? I'm not sure how that's done. But you manifest it in your lifestyle. That's where it comes to the surface. Same is true in marriage. It'll come to the surface after a while. So you can't isolate one heart, soul, and mind function in harmony. In our love for God. Heart refers primarily to our emotional response. When we think about love, we usually stop with emotions. The, the helpful roles of soul and mind become clear when our emotions fail us or our heart fails us. <coughs> so what do we do with the command to love God if we don't feel like it? Soul in this context includes the willful decision-making part of us. Loving God with our soul covers those times when we love God apart from our feelings. Everybody hear what I just said? Loving God with our soul covers those times when we love God apart from our feelings. There's times that, and folks, everybody here tonight has been hurt by somebody. There's people here tonight that's been hurt by a pastor. There's people been hurt by the ministry team and musicians and singers. We've all been hurt by somebody. We've been hurt by family. We've been hurt by people on the job. This is where you've got to know what you know, what you know. You can sustain your relationship with God through these times. Soul includes the willful decision-making part of us. It covers us during those times when we love God apart from our feelings, such as when we truly forgive one another while part of us feels like exacting revenge on that person. It's the three-legged stool working for you. Your mind says, your knowledge says, I'm going to forgive so-and-so, I'm going to forgive them. But your heart says you're a fool. You need to get even. You need to show them how that feels. This is where knowledge kicks in. 
This is where knowing the Word of God kicks in. It can save you. It can sustain you if you understand the principle that Jesus is teaching. It's the law of compensation. When part of you lacks, the other part kicks in. Even the wise man in Proverbs said, when a person is going through physical distress in their body, their body can can lean on their spirit or their attitude to recover. But when the spirit is wounded, there's nothing for it to fall back on. You learn how to fall back onto yourself based on what you know, not based on what you feel. Mind refers to an active component of our love for God. In a world where faith is often described as, a, as characteristic of people who don't think, they just blunder off into stuff. Faith will take care of me. I just blunder around everywhere. I do whatever I want to do. Faith will take care of me. That's the way the world oftentimes characterizes faith. But Jesus' words point to the importance of engaging our mind as a central aspect of what we believe. Of course, loving God with our mind covers much more than the practice of thinking about God. If we place our mind into service for God, it will enjoy its greatest usefulness. Serving God with soul and heart and without the mind is like sitting on a three-legged stool with one leg missing. We have to understand, you can't separate them, you can't isolate one. You take a three-legged stool and make it into a two-legged stool. And it's virtually useless. It can't stand. It can't support. It just simply can't be done. The heart is the center of desires and affections. The soul is a person's being and uniqueness. The mind is the center of a person's intellect. So to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, it is to fulfill completely all the commandments regarding one's vertical relationship with God. So it's important to realize that oftentimes the greatest battles we will fight in spiritual warfare are fought on the battleground of our mind. And the Bible teaches that the enemy knows that as the mind goes, so goes the man. That is why we are commanded to refute arguments and theories and imaginations and every proud and lofty thing that is raised against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity, the Bible said, every thought into the obedience of Christ. We do that with our mind. But if you don't know the scripture, you make emotional decisions and they're deadly. I've said this many times before, especially when it comes to holiness standards. People say, well, I just don't believe that anymore. Based on what? Did you have some revelation that no one else has had? I mean, am I, am I that carnal as pastor? Am I so out of touch with God that he would give you such an incredible, earth-changing revelation and not even give me a hint of nothing about it? What about all the other church people here? What about those who attend prayer meetings faithfully and so on? You make those kind of decisions with your heart, and it's an emotional decision, but it's not based on knowledge. And when you study the Word of God, you find those things are still there. 
And ignorance for not doing it is not an excuse. I hope I'm getting through. I hope people are understanding tonight. This is true to an extent, but you'll understand the illustration. This happened many times with Sister Murphy and I. Your skin can grow accustomed to hot water. I have literally seen her rinsing dishes and steam coming up out of the sink. And I go to moisten a rag under the running water. And I about scald myself. And I'm like, how in the world are you running that water on your hands like that? And it's not burning. Well, I'm used to it. Well, to me, hot water is hot water, and it's going to burn the same. I don't care how used to it you get. But there them little old hands go right back up under that water, and she's just doing all of this and that, just rubbing it in, making a point. Minnie, big sissy, can't take a little hot water. Okay, let's go outside, and I'll show you something I can make you a sissy about then, you know, whatever. But I re you know, go back to my scriptural knowledge and not do things for revenge and get in. But if you leave your mind to itself, it will come to accept more and more depravity if you leave it to itself. But if you bring in the soul part of you and the emotion part of you, or if you get all emotional and you've completely lost your way. I've known of this has happened to preachers, very prolific preacher. He said, I lost my way. Didn't sin, but just completely was crushed by situations that just completely broke down his emotional structure. I've seen it happen to church people over the death of a loved one, especially the loss of a child. People collapse under that. Well, if all you're leaning on and all you have under you is your emotional structure, you're not going to make it. But if you can bring in your soul, and if you can bring in your mind, that knowledge of Scripture, and you can activate your faith and what have you, you can get through anything. And God designed it that way and then God in his wisdom promised and it's hard for us to accept this but he promised I will not put more on you than your three legged stool can bear now he didn't say that that's just my interpretation of that the Bible is full of examples David said for example in Psalm 51 create within me a clean heart O God renew a right spirit Paul said to the church in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Colossians 3.10, put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created us. You go on and on with this. It's important, folks, it's important that you love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you can't separate the three. And there's people here tonight that struggle in your relationship with God because you're trying to do that. And it doesn't work. You come to church, you feel convicted, not condemned, convicted, not condemned, not judged, convicted. It's God's way. It's his little gentle way of saying, hey, you and I need to have a conversation about some things. You feel that because you're sitting on the two-legged stool. So... First and foremost, we must protect our mind, we must protect our heart, we must protect our soul. Several years ago, a submarine was being tested and had to remain submerged for many hours. When it returned to the harbor, the captain was asked, how did the terrible storm last night affect you guys in the submarine? 
The officer looked at him in surprise and explained, Storm, we didn't even know there was one. The submarine had been so far beneath the surface that it had reached the area known to sailors as the cushion of the sea. I want to preach that one day. The cushion of the sea is what they called it in military terms. Although the ocean above them may be whipped into huge waves and high winds and waters <coughs> below never even stirred, never even moved, a Christian's mind will be protected against the distracting waves of worry, compromise, whatever, if it's resting completely in the good providence of God. I prayed last night when I got to bed, and I just thank God for the privilege of my life being in His hands. I prayed last night at prayer meeting. We were here last night at prayer meeting. By the way, an amazing group of people here last night. Wonderful turnout last night. Young people and kids were everywhere. It was amazing last night. Amazing. But I prayed last night, God, I'm so that I don't have to default to alcohol, to nicotine, to drugs, prescription drugs, all that kind of stuff. I don't have to default to that to survive and to make it through life, especially with all the challenges we've had over the past two years. I've learned the feeling of the cushion of the sea when everything around you is just going crazy to have still that element of security in my relationship with God. It means everything. Our minds must be protected. The Bible said in Philippians 4, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with giving thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. It keeps the three-legged stool intact. It's been said that the mind is a garden that could be cultivated to purpose or to produce the, the harvest that we desire. One can either intelligently cultivate his mind or we can allow it to run wild. Cultivated or neglected, your mind will produce something. So Paul encouraged us finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Emerson said, the, ancest the ancestor of every action is a thought. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Bad thoughts produce bad fruit, such as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, hatred, strife, envyings, and such like, according to Paul in Galatians 5.19. But on the other hand, good thoughts always produce good actions. Remember, you can make your mind give you back anything you want but it's impossible to get something out of your mind that's never been put there. James Allen said, a noble and godlike character is not accident or change, but it is the natural result of continued effort and right thinking. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'm concluding, be not transformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Literally, this means that we are not to be configured to this world. We should not fit in to the schematics of this world. We should become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it 
we shouldn't, excuse me, we shouldn't become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking. We're to be transformed. We're to be metamorphosed by the renewing of our mind, changing from the inside out. And it requires concerted effort to replace our thought patterns. So in conclusion tonight, we are to bring every thought into captivity, making those thoughts to be obedient to Christ. The Bible said to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we come to have the mind of Christ? By taking heed thereto according to his word, according to Psalm 119, verse 9. Everybody needs to understand this statement. We do not choose our circumstances, but we do choose our thoughts. It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you. Because our thoughts become our character. The Bible said, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Paul said in Philippians 3, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him. Remember what you are plus what you think Remember what you are plus what you think equals what you become. And I will add to that, oftentimes it's what your children become or even worse. The wise man said, and I'm finished. Proverbs 24 verse 3 through wisdom is a house builded and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled and all precious, with all precious and pleasant riches. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to build any kind of profitable relationship. It takes a lot of work, a lot of commitment, a lot of accountability. But it's so worth it. <clears throat> so in conclusion tonight, I'll just say it simply. What you put into a relationship with God is pretty much what you're going to get out of it. What you put into your marriage is what you're going to get out of it. What you put into parenting is what you're going to get out of it. Be not deceived, the wise men said. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. It's the standard of compensation. Whatever you meet out, whatever you give out, is what's going to come back to you again. I made up my mind a long time ago, and I'm thankful my marriage and Sister Murphy is as determined or more determined than I am but we sure embrace Joshua's statement as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord and it's sure been worth the trip it's sure been worth the trip I encourage everybody here tonight to lay aside every weight and sin that just so easily beset us and run the race with patience that is set before us do it just do it it's worth it it's worth it. It's worth it. God bless you tonight. Thank you all for being here. It's 813. You're welcome. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some appreciation tonight, shall we?
Thank the Lord. I have a meeting with some folks up here on the platform. If uh, as you're dismissed tonight, if you guys can make your way forward, uh, I might be able to catch Las Palmas tonight before it closes. So God bless you tonight. Love you, love you, love you. See you Sunday morning.